This is where we meet. I'm Cameron Lalana, and I'm Chowen Yuyan. On today's episode, we'll be diving into the history and horror story of everybody's favorite, except for us. <laughs> everybody's favorite, except for us. Chocolate. Yeah, I'm excited to get into it, and excited to get uh, probably like taken by a mob once people find out our, our, our stance on chocolate. But that's okay. That's for later. <laughs> for now, where we meet is a podcast about the intersections in our lives, where we meet culture, culture meets food, food meets politics, politics meets hot takes, and so on. What exactly does that look like? Well, you'll have to listen to the episode today to find out. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited entirely by Changes. Sharon, I, I gotta ask you. So, you're familiar with tier lists, right? Yes. So that's gonna be like S tier, A tier, B tier. And for for our listeners who may or may not be familiar, S tier is you know think of your grading system in school, but instead of A being the highest, S is the highest. Do you have any S tier like chocolate products that you would you would rate? You asked me a hard question because one, I do not eat that much chocolate, and two, I don't like chocolate that much. The secret comes out. <laughs> <laughs> gonna get ripped up and we're not even admit it into the entire episode but but if we had to pick a favorite i think the one that i would eat a lot is like hershey's kiss oh or kit kats okay all right so that would be maybe not s tier but definitely solid ones mm-hmm. all right that's fair that's fair yeah i also don't like chocolate that much i mean nothing wrong with it it's good but i don't seek it out or eat it uh but i, I do have a slightly controversial opinion which is that if i did have an s tier chocolate it would be Almond Joys. Almond Joys? Yeah. Are you familiar with those? No, no, no. Wait. I actually like Almond Joys. Yeah, like right. The, 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 <laughs> the one chocolate that a lot of people hate is the one that I kind of am pretty decent with. Like, I have a pretty good um, opinion on it compared to other chocolates. Yeah, it's right. It's got a it's got a variety of flavors. It's got the almond. Everyone hates on it, cause I think, because of the coconut. But that's, it's it, it's good. Yeah, I think it's, all, it's a variety of flavors because for me, I'm more of a sweets and sour person that's why i don't really like chocolate that much because mm. i prefer like sour patches for example mm. or just anything that makes my mouth a little bit jewel right but um yeah almond joys definitely get you yeah those are good ones all right well i guess we we, we could keep rating chocolates but as we found out neither you nor i really that big on chocolate I mean, I, you know, I can appreciate a Snickers bar if someone gives it to me or a Milky Way. Those are definitely, I mean, eight tier chocolates, probably. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't buy them, though. <laughs> but yeah, so we're, we're here today to talk about chocolate. And you may be wondering, Joanne, Cameron, if you all don't like chocolate that much, why are you making a podcast about it? Telling everybody a story of the very interesting history of chocolate and also the history the slightly bad side of chocolate too so maybe it is not really on brand for us right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very on brand today yeah we're going to be talking like like you said chow and about about chocolate in general where does it come from what's its history um i, I do want to point out and we'll talk about this more later that this is not meant to be a comprehensive understanding of chocolate right because we're not we're not specialists we're some people who've done some research into this and we're here not to tell like make this a lecture we're here to get you to think about where, where your products come from because a lot of things on our, our grocery shelves are international products they're coming from around the world and we we live in a globalized economy where that is 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 just a feature of life that we're going to go to the store and buy something that you could buy in almost any store in america that is made 
you know, maybe maybe in the Ivory Coast, maybe grown in Guatemala, and you don't know it. And we're going to here to pull that back a little bit to think about not just chocolate in particular, but just the products in general that we have and where where do they come from, and um, to to be a little bit more critical about all the world around us, which is you know the goal of our podcast, I think. Mm-hmm, definitely. So, Cameron, if on that really great note, would you kind of like to start off on a good overview of the history of chocolate? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, so. Chocolate, like many other products that we our, our world is filled with today, is a product of, of, of Mesoamerica. It is something that has come, come like like corn or maize, like potatoes, like tomatoes, like so many other products. It's something that um, it was was cultivated over many um, hundreds, thousands of years by by uh, the indigenous peoples here in the Americas. And prior to uh, the arrival of, of Europeans, it was uh, cacao was a, a feature of, of especially uh, what, what is today South America, South American life, uh, often made into a drink. The prototypical example being something like the chocolate mixed with corn or maize flour and, and chilies and, and kind of served in, in a, a frothy cup. Not at all like what you might be familiar today thinking of a chocolate drink as something that's sweet uh and you know refreshing and light uh, that that's something that's kind of in addition that once when the the you know the the spanish uh become familiarized with it as they're as they're colonizing the americas uh they bring it back to initially spain where it's kind of looked upon as a curiosity uh and with some slight additions becomes kind of a a drink of the noble classes more so you know keep in mind um it's still hard to get it's only grown in central and south america at this point so it's got it's this drink this curiosity of the elite classes which holds true until you kind of get until uh 16th and 17th century when you're looking more so at kind of the um industrial uh, overhauling of a lot of europe uh it which is extending through all out the um all, all kinds of areas especially uh, we should note for this purpose uh culinary and cuisines and overhauling how, how foods are made and how foods are produced uh, and in chocolate which again up to this point was kind of a, a special uh, treat for elites uh, well it, by changing the production methods working with those cacao beans um, adding in other things like um, powdered milk they were able to make it go further and created what we now know as well chocolate milk chocolate excuse me um, and it becomes something that's much more accessible to more people because they're stretching out what they have here. Yet that being said, it's still a limited supply of cacao beans. So there was this need for more uh, more cacao beans in general. And so what was uh, up to that point, a uh, the trade which is mostly done on plantations in, 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 in the Americas, uh, you know, uh, done carried the work carried out by either in the indigenous people of the americas or by slaves who were brought from africa well at that point they the european colonizers kind of started cutting out the middlemen so to speak and began opening those plantations in west africa instead so we had the situation where um a, a product of of the americas spreads to europe and through time there and through innovations in their technologies, it becomes changed into a new form. Um, and then the, that new form um, now kind of spreads to, so to speak, spreads to West Africa as, as the, the Europeans opened up and 
ran those those slave plantations there to grow that. So you've got the spreading of the of the bean from um, South America and Central America to to Europe to Africa again, so to speak, and then kind of back to Europe in a sense as um, as the increased supply uh, increased the ability for people to have access to it. That taste was brought to well brought back, I guess, to the Americas right by to the colonists and that that modern form of chocolate has kind of spread the world over so that's a brief history but let's talk about some of the i guess associations with chocolate maybe not associations but just like chocolate has has a solid grip on our our culture right like i'm sure you've you've been inundated with commercials about chocolate people just talking about it Mm -hmm. yeah and it's a part of a lot of i guess holiday traditions in the u.s not just in the u.s but in other countries as well so like for valentine's day for example you kind of gift your loved ones with like a large range of like different chocolates spread as prettily as possible um and it's also very popular in a lot of baked goods like toppings for um certain cakes right or if you're trying to enjoy an ice cream in this really hot weather right now um it's like you use chocolate syrup as kind of a topping for um uh, for your entire dessert so it's really really ingrained into our uh into our culture yeah absolutely and you, you know, you can go into any convenience store, any grocery store, almost any anywhere that sells any sort of food, you're going to be able to find chocolate in there. Like, there's a massive appetite. And this is just in the U.S., not to mention the rest of the world. <laughs> the appetite is, for this is massive, which is interesting because it's not a product that can be grown anywhere. It's got to be grown about within about 20 degrees of, like, the equator. So there's a fairly limited number of places that can actually grow chocolate, uh, which is kind of what what we're talking about here today. The fact that chocolate is a global good, but it's something that can only be grown in so many places. And hmm, how do we say this? Not, not we're, we're not trying to come out here and be like, oh, this is like, look at this sinister thing. that like, oh, you never really knew this on your grocery shelves. Not, no, like there are whole economies global for better or for worse. And so th- what's true of chocolate is going to be true of a lot of other things. This is just a, like a good case study of like, for example, Maybe you did know, maybe you didn't know that 70% of the world's chocolate is grown in West Africa, right? Because it's got strong associations with, with the Americas, which makes sense. It's from the Americas. Um, it kind of, if, you, if you're trying to buy like artisan chocolate bars, which are a single origin, uh, they'll usually tell you where they came from. They're like, oh, these beans are from Ecuador. These beans are from here or there. But like, how often do you be like, oh, this, this is a, a bar which is sourced from Ghana, which is sourced from the Ivory Coast? which is not that often. And like, this is a very specific example. This is an example of using single origin bars, which is like different from, from most chocolate. But, but like, this is the, this is the story of chocolate. And like, this is the story of how these things have come about because it's not just like, when you look at bars of chocolate, it's not like an accident that, mm-hmm. um, the majority of the world's chocolate for like general chocolate is sourced from West Africa and the, and the majority of like artisan bars are sourced from South America. There are associations with, with West African chocolate. I mean, West African chocolate was primarily a product of colonization of the European desire to, to have chocolate and, and the need for a, like a huge access to cheap labor to grow, to grow beans. Um, and the thing is that over time as as candy became and this is something i'm pulling from um an article on single uh single origin chocolate i wish i'd pulled this up earlier (laughs) 
<laughs> we have little hiccups here and there. Exactly. Like as uh, as Cameron said earlier, we are not experts. Uh, we haven't had like a PhD in the study of chocolate, right? Um, but we're simple people who have done a little bit of digging into um, about the history of chocolate and and the way that chocolate is sourced. Yeah. So yeah, this discussion is very much engaged to get you to think about it, not to tell you like make this a lecture because there's a lot of other people who you can go to for lectures and you know even we maybe even caution against thinking a couple of days of research makes you an expert in something because sometimes that sometimes thinking we're experts in a lot of things can create their own set of problems mm-hmm. yeah like the danger of accidentally spreading misinformation as well and also just the condescending attitude that kind of pushes a lot of people away from even like considering the history because like if you kind of uh kind of go off in a haunty rant about like how oh you can't have this you can't have that because it's not very ethnically sourced um even though a lot of even those those certain things are already ingrained into our culture so much it's just going to push people to kind of like mindlessly almost just grab it more because like if someone's telling you not to do it in such a rude way um you kind of do it more to piss them off right um so it just kind of pushes people in a direction where uh where they kind of over consume even more without kind of thinking uh, uh, of like the specific way that it's got here in the first place. Yeah, definitely. Oh, and perfect. Thank you for, for talking. So I've, I've now had time to <laughs> pull up my quote. So this is from Invisible West Africa, The Politics of Single Origin Chocolate, which is uh, which was published in Gastronomica by Christy Lasalle, L-I-E-I-S-S-L-E. Um, and Lasalle writes... Earlier associations of quality with bean origin were replaced by the notion of that quality meant consistency. Now, this is talking about the kind of explosion of European and American takes on chocolate. Uh, consumers wanted their favorite candy bar to taste exactly the same every time they ate one, never mind what the coca bean might taste like. With this final severing of chocolate from its origins, a vast landscape of agricultural production was almost permanently erased from confectionery shelves. So... Because the West African growth of beans was so heavily associated with this kind of colonial growth into the area, a lot of it, a lot of production still sourced from there is for kind of like general candy. And this is the backs of what the modern candy industry is built on, West African chocolate. But at the same time, despite being both the backbone of the modern candy industry of probably most of your Milky Ways, your Snickers, your Almond Joys... Uh, it's rare. It's, it's not thought about as the place which provides that for us. And even when it is thought about that, it's kind of denigrated as like low quality chocolate. LaSalle interviews some artisan chocolate bar makers. And, um, one of the reasons they gave was that, uh, so for example, West African chocolate tends to be, uh, beans, you know, cacao beans have a, a wide variety of flavors, a wide variety of types, not dissimilar to grapes, right? You've got, if you, you know, no one would question the, the fact that there are tons of varieties of grapes to make tons of different types of wine. Now, maybe it's not quite as widespread as for coca pods, but it's not entirely dissimilar. Um, a lot of, you know, West African uh, nations which grow um, coca beans, oftentimes those have been selected less for kind of like their individual flavors and more so for consistency because most, the largest amount of money in the world for like the largest companies, they want consistent beans because everyone today, you probably expect your Snickers to taste the same in California as it does in Louisiana, as it does in Oaxaca, as it does in Montreal, as it does in, I don't know, um, <laughs> like <laughs> Australia, you'd expect them all to taste the same, which maybe that's an, int that's a conversation to talk about in and of itself, the way that the world has become 
standardized for many things. Of course, this is a generalization. Um, that's where a lot of the money is. That's where a lot of beans have been selected. At the same time, you know, Ghana, for example, is known for very high quality coca pods, at least partially driven by the fact that it, there's a lot of regulations and that the government's involved in, in the in the production of coca beans. So uh, farmers there sell theirs to like a coca board and the board sells it to companies abroad. So there's been like a lot of controls to make sure that, you know, there's like a certain kind of quality insured rather than a lot of other countries who, for better or for worse, it's kind of the companies being like who want cheaper beans, mm -hmm. who want more consistent beans, kind of driving the way that how pods are selected over time. So bringing it back, we have simultaneously the candy industry is built on the back of this, but also denigrated and, you know, and, and, not thought of very highly which is an interesting feature of like how just looking at our grocery shelves and thinking about where where does our where does our food come from who who made my food who shipped it here and not to like beans from south america and like oh like you should you should buy more focus on <laughs> making sure you're, you're getting like uh your single origin chocolate bars from from africa too because the reality is that I don't want to say it's neither good nor bad. It, they're definitely, this is less a commentary on like that specifically on the ways that we as consumers look at our products and uh, don't often think about where, where they've come from or maybe like the politics behind why in my, you know, why, why do I, why, why do we not see like the bars reflected in places where they come from? Mm -hmm. And honestly, though, it's not just limited to chocolate or just food in general, but also clothes. So, for example, fast fashion, um, where a lot of like very uh, cheap clothes are made in Asia, um, often abuse uh, human labor, sometimes even child labor to kind of create it. And the problem with that, though, is that a lot of we don't want to criticize people that buy these products because at the same time it's unavoidable like sometimes you just want like a sweet treat right so chocolate could be the key to that or if you want to like search in groceries like yeah it, it it might be harvested through very unethical means but you do need to survive in your own way um so it's the same thing with clothes like clothes that are a lot more um inclusive of larger sizes um and at the same time considerate of low-income families um it's kind of sometimes the only option that we kind of really have to in order to survive so it's not a criticism of like whether or not you should buy something but it's more so just thinking a little bit more about rather than just ignoring the issue outright kind of acknowledging it yeah i think that's a great way of putting it because these things are for better or for worse parts of parts of our reality around us i mean for for better or for worse Oftentimes, for in this worse for this case, like a lot of foods of, of of the Americas have been generalized the world over, but also forgotten that they they were not in a natural piece of the world. That this is a legacy of colonialism, of the place of the potato, so strongly associated with Ireland, Russia, not from those places, not even introduced there until relatively recently. I mean, if you look at my background is in Russian um, Russian study, Eastern European studies, really, and I remember I've got this cookbook. Um, and when I, in the first couple of pages, the author kind of says, you aren't going to find any potatoes in this cookbook because, you know, if they're potatoes in a recipe, it's not a, she was trying to write like traditional Russian, mm. traditional Russian or traditional Slavic recipes. Um, and yeah, if like the potatoes were not introduced in, in, in the Slavic context until the 18th century, these are really recent things or tomatoes, which we so heavily associate with, with Italian cuisine, with some Indian cuisines, but again, a product of the Americas, corn all these things which are so they feel like a part of the natural landscape like this they, this is always it has always been this way 
but it's not in, and I, it, it's, this is a relatively recent feature. The world in it, again, for better or worse, it's, it's changed and this has become part of our landscape. Now that, that doesn't mean that we have to uncritically accept it, I think, but it is worth paying attention to the narratives we build around it and maybe deconstructing those narratives. Like it's not, it's not inherent. It's not, it's again, it's not like an inherently bad thing that chocolate is grown. Now if you're looking from an environmental perspective, there's other things to bring in there, but yeah, it, a fact of our world today is that chocolate is grown by the equator. It's grown in South America. It's grown in West Africa. That is, that is just what it is. You know, we're not here to say like, that's, that's just, that's just how the production goes. Where it gets weird is our cultural narratives around it again. Or, for example, this kind of, I think it's interesting, not interesting, but it's, it's, it's good that you mentioned how in, you know, in, in cheap clothing production that oftentimes you, you see child labor, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I'm going to sound, okay, for a second, I'm going to sound kind of cynical. The West loves to pro clutch over child labor. In many senses, you know, you could say that's rightfully so. And maybe this is getting into a, a larger conversation about how we in the west often talk about human trafficking mm, um yes. and there is there it's 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 true that and so this is primarily in the ivory coast cote d'ivoire that you you have seen and this is like a lot of the early 2000 documentaries and if you google about like chocolate is it it's, is it good what's going on you'll often harass like oh there's child slavery being used in the production of chocolate so be wary of where you buy it from um and you know in general you can say okay yeah you generally don't want to support <laughs> forced like forced labor especially from children um but at the same time that's kind of where the the understanding beginning and ends it's just like oh yeah ivory coast the child slaves don't buy from them but it kind of lacks the perception of like okay so why are there like why are there child slaves there why, why is there forced labor there first of all like there's pressures to produce very cheaply especially in Cote d'Ivoire which is maybe in for example in Ghana not true because of other factors but also like where where, where do the, the children come from and sometimes the narratives are, especially because our narratives around trafficking are really simple. It's like, oh, people are selling their children, which, yeah, people begin and end there. But like, okay, if that's true, and you might find that it's, and as fact, as some people who've researched this find out it's not true, you know, why would they be selling their children? Like, is there just, it's almost, there's like a, like a lack of critical thought around, okay, is it, inv- like, or do people need the money? Are you implying that people just don't want their children? Um, mm-hmm. But of course, when you research this, and this is pulling from the paper Exploiting West Africa's Children, Trafficking, Slavery, and Uneven Development by Kate uh, Manzo, uh, Manzo finds that um, oftentimes what, was, what a lot of people were reporting is that people, you know, like children who were being brought to work under forced labor, they were being trafficked there under the, like, assumption that they were going to be going there for paid labor, true, but also for education, that for the most part, when people were being interviewed, the parents were told by the traffickers that, oh, well, this is like, you know, your your child's going to work here, but there's going to be education there. And there's like, especially in poor communities, like in, in Mali, for example, where they would target, there was like a belief in that, like, oh, yeah, okay, this makes sense. They're going to work and they're going to earn some way money, but also that money is going to go into them getting educated. That makes sense. I mean, you in like every other context, like saying like, oh, yeah, my kid's going to work and that's going to help, help their education totally fine thing to say people would generally agree with that of course that's not what ends up happening but uh, i tell you this story because uh, i what i want is to think about when we're saying okay there's child slavery and in this case uh, you know ivory coast uh, chocolate production to encourage like oh what why is there why, why is that the case there what what's happening and not just stop at like okay child slavery there can't support it because that also creates this weird cycle and this is pointed out by by LaSalle as well that the idea that okay we can't support this means that there's not a lot of money in Cote d'Ivoire 
to like going towards it other than just like people the only money being invested there is from the companies that are already buying from there who already are like putting money and kind of rewarding this practice but so people don't invest there the perception that west africa or africa is a bad place to invest continues because money is not being put into the region then people continue not to invest and the cycle continues forever and um you know this is not to say like oh the, the solution is a market solution of putting money into this region developing it maybe maybe not i'm not an economic person what i'm here to tell you is that the conditions around the world is they they don't they aren't an accident and they we are kind of involved with them by virtue of living in the economies we do and i don't mean that to be a condemnation of us but that's just kind of a, a fact of the world that we kind of have to live with and maybe you should pay attention to it's not exactly the most happy source of information that anybody would like to read, but at the same time, it's real, it's there, and just because we are able to ignore it doesn't mean you should. In fact, the fact that we can't ignore it um, maybe should kind of push us to acknowledge it even more. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like the way, the way you phrased that, that in, in many ways, privilege is just not being able to think about it. And not to say that everyone, <laughs> you know, that you have to pay attention to everything all the time because that would be over, that would be overwhelming that'd be um yeah I, I wrote this poem and when i was when i was trying to when i was an english major who was trying to be trying to be deep i wrote this poem <laughs> called commentary from your superego which is just about like how do you consume ethically how do, do i you know i, I drive, okay i've got a car let's go get a tesla or not tesla there aren't teslas like let's go get a prius of course priuses um are still cars they're still using gas but of course the batteries are also using cobalt and cobalt also does not have a super ethical origin cobalt's kind of the uh, the piece of lithium iron batteries is the basis of our electronics industry we're recording this into a laptop it probably has cobalt in there mm-hmm. shoes um i'm wearing leather shoes right now <laughs> leather not super ethical either how these produced maybe not super ethical the clothes are wearing things we buy at the grocery store um, you know, in California, speaking of trafficking again, California agriculture has a huge problem with human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, so who's growing, who's growing your crops, who's making your clothes. It's, it's kind of, if you continue it forever, it's overwhelming. It's like, what do you do? And that is a, that is a great question. Maybe that's the question before us. What, what do we do with this? I don't have an answer. I don't know if you do, Chow. <laughs> I don't have an answer too. That's why there's a silence right here. I think the only best way to do it is just know about it. We don't have to like dive into a, a crazy spiral of history <laughs> like some of us do. Um, but just knowing it's there, that it exists, and kind of recognizing when, um, I guess, certain patterns occur, like maybe um, U.S. involvement into a certain country um, and kind of involvement in their economy, right? Um, and also being aware like when these narratives come up of oh this country has like child uh, child slavery um, and then kind of putting faults on that country because of these because of these issues even though it's a part of a larger problem um, I think that's the best thing people can do I don't think like us protesting in the U.S., right, for example, would really change anything that's happening in other countries. And that's a bit of a cynical way of putting it, but maybe. But um, as long as we kind of acknowledge it, I think that's the best path we can take. Yeah, it's a first step, at least. And I think, again, like acknowledging it, like you said, is important because going back to this kind of Western pearl clutching, again, not bad. I think the basic impulse of like, oh, child slavery is bad yeah obviously good impulse (laughs) but it's how you use that impulse maybe that uh, that's just like okay this you know there's there's 
you know, uh, uh, forced labor being used in the practice of this, then we can't support this brand anymore, or we can't support this country anymore. But like you said, it's weird that the that the fault is put just on a company or just on a country rather than being like, what, who is the, who are those goods being made for? Uh, they don't just like magically end up in America. Someone had to buy them and bring them to the U.S. So who who is paying for these goods after that point? I mean, obviously there's a financial incentive here. So someone's making money. I mean, obviously people are making money at every step along the way, but like it's not just, it's not one actor. It's a whole system, which is incentivizing uh, cheap, cheaper and cheaper labor, labor, which might, might push labor to, to an area where, you know, the government protection is not super high. It's not, it's not one singular person's fault. It's, it's the fault of a lot of actors of maybe people. Yeah. People in country are taking advantage of this, but also people in our own countries who are taking advantage of it abroad, which is how we ended up with cheap chocolate. Well, it's all because people are motivated by money. I'm going to quote um, something for all of my anime fans out here. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> for my Hunter x Hunter fans like Leorio. Uh, to quote Leorio from Hunter x Hunter, money, money, money. The whole world revolves around money. I think that's the best way we can kind of end everything. On that very happy note, we'll go ahead and leave you here to just you know think about some things. We're, we certainly are. I certainly am thinking about um, the products I consume all the time but also especially after preparing for this episode yeah and same to me honestly thank you for your little spiral of research cameron always happy like i know that some people who hate chocolate or not hate chocolate love chocolate might not really appreciate this source of information but me as a i won't say hate chocolate but a neutral neutral person on the topic of chocolate i really do appreciate this yeah. education yeah yeah, not that there's a lot of levity to be found here, but it's kind of funny when something that you personally dislike becomes like a social justice issue, and you're like, I was on the right side of history all along. <laughs> maybe I just don't regulate, maybe I just don't like the taste of chocolate, but I was on the right side of history. It's like, I'm, like coincidentally, this is the gift of being, actually, I won't finish that sentence, because like sour, sour candies probably are not very ethnically sourced either. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, if you're eating Sour Patch, you know they're they're being harvested from like the little little sour patch people they'd get pulled out of the ground and put into our <laughs> sorry it's blending <laughs> so i'm a candy car candy carnivore is that the best term to candy put it candy carnivore <laughs> <laughs> wait no that would imply yeah. that i'm candy then what candy carnivore would imply that you you're said candy? that they're plucking like sour patch people yeah, from the ground right yeah there's like a wow. sour patch people have their own little society which we're kidnapping them from and turning them into candy carnivores <laughs> <then. Okay. laughs> uh, so we are i I mean, yeah, we're already carnivores, but... Not carnivores, cannibals! Jesus! Cannibals. <laughs> Jesus, that's the word I was looking for! This would imply that, that Sour Patch people are also humans, which is intriguing, but concerning. I mean, they're tiny humans, yeah. but they're there. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Well... <laughs> not car, not carnivores, cannibals. Cannibals. That's the word I was looking for. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Sour, sour Candy, not, not joking around about them being a sentient race. Sour, sour Candies, I don't know about how ethical they are, but they're definitely bad for teeth. You <laughs> yeah, no oh, that's true. I drink, sauce, like, yeah. how much with how much sparkling water I, I drink. I'm really not in a position to criticize anyone about their teeth. <laughs> I want to expose you here. <laughs> Unlike my friend who will be in the next episode, Will. Yeah, that's going to be very funny. You should look forward to that. But this is, this is, this outro has gone on for a long time. So, Xiaoan. <laughs> 
where we meet is released through changes an organization which works with youth to equip them with the tools and knowledge to engage with local and global social issues you can learn more about us on our website changes.org that's change ist.org questions comments feedback or threats if you're a sour patch person <laughs> you can email them to us at changest at protonmail.com you can also follow where we meet on instagram at where we meet underscore pod and on twitter also at where we meet underscore pod we'll see you all again next time <laughs>